worship is just a little different. It catches our ear differently, doesn't it? And sometimes you pay attention to the words, uh, words of the song. So uh, just so great to, to have you guys here today. So, um, you know, Carrie Underwood, Elvis, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate you guys. Um, that's a real person, right? Okay, just want to make sure because I, I don't do the country music so much. Um, anyway. It's so good to be back. It's, it was good to, uh, to be gone the last couple weeks. Um, I'm still really jet-lagged, so it feels like it's about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, so this is the uh, Sunday evening service, in my opinion, uh, but I think it'll be, be great. And, and, you know, when you don't preach for a couple of weeks, you kind of get out of the get out of the habit, and you think, well, how, how, how's this going to go today? And I guess we will, uh, I guess we will just have to, have to see. But I'm really excited about uh, what we're starting today. I'm starting a series today out of the book of Galatians. Um, I don't think that I've ever preached through the entire book of Galatians. I know I've preached sermons uh, from different texts because there's a lot of those very memorable texts, one that you, you learn in, in student camp and others. There's a lot of those that are out of the book of Galatians. Um, but I don't think I've ever preached that series all the way through. And in the past, I sort of have this uh, notion or this rule that I'm going to kind of break for this sermon series. I usually don't like sermon series to go longer than about six weeks because I feel like people get tired of it. But I've also kind of, I'm kind of giving myself a little grace this time because it's probably going to take us about 10 or 12 weeks to get through this book. But I don't want to shortchange uh, the writings that are, that are here and what this book has to say uh, to us today. And so the first sermon we're going to start with today is going to talk about the gospel is not like anything else. And, and that's kind of a theme that we're going to pick up on really quickly as we go through the book of Galatians. Now, obviously, this is an intro Sunday, which means we've got to do just, a, just a, a handful of housekeeping, understanding where this book is coming from and what's going on. And so we need to understand the characters and the context of what is actually happening here. Now, Paul is the author. We know that because he tells us that. And Paul happens to write about 13, at least 13 books of our 27 books that we have in the New Testament. He wrote far more books, but these are the 13 that we actually have. We're also going to talk about a church in a place called Galatia. Now, there is no church in Galatia today. I'm not, not the original one, not the church that's being written to right here. And the major theme that we know that Paul is going to talk about is the gospel. For him, the gospel is at stake. That's why he is writing this book. In fact, Paul mostly writes correctives. He writes them to churches, sometimes to people, but he says, this is a problem or this is something that needs to be edited or changed and you need to pay attention to this. Uh, and he usually writes a corrective. How do we, how do we correct whatever is in, uh, you know, going on or going bad in the midst of this. But before we start, I want us to recognize something. This book is not written to us or for us. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that everything is written exactly to us. And in some way, that is true. But we are not the Galatian church. We did not exist 2,000 years ago. We have some different problems than they have, even though we know that in, in the cycle of human life, we all really have the same problems. This is what Solomon kind of tells people. There's nothing new. Everybody struggles with the same things in the course of their lives. But it sometimes is good to note that instead of us just 
superimposing this context onto ourselves, we have to realize that we're actually involved in an act of plagiarism. We are reading someone else's mail, okay? Uh, the, the, Galatians, the, the letter to the Galatians was written for them, and even though there are things that we can glean from it, we have to also recognize that it was not specifically written to us, and we need to read that, uh, read that in the context of what is happening. So let's start with Paul. Paul's the author, uh, the author and, and we know actually quite a lot about him because a lot is written about him. And I want to just read a couple. If you go into a concordance, um, if you look up Paul or even Paul, which was his former name, which you're going to see here in just a minute, it will tell you a lot of information about who he was. And I'm going to try to cover a little bit of that today, but mostly we'll do it in the coming weeks. I'm just going to do, I'm going to go back to the book of Acts because this is where we meet um, who, who is known as Saul at the time. But in Acts chapter 7, the church has started in Acts 2, and the church is facing some persecution, and Stephen, who we know when we get to Acts 7, is the first martyr. He's the first person that is killed for his Christian faith. And a- a- as he stands before this mock trial, very much like what Jesus did at the end of the Gospels, it says here, um, let me see if I can see it here, uh, in, in verse 58 of chapter 7, it says, when it comes to the end, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at, a young, at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's the, he is the overseeing Pharisee when this martyrdom is taking place. And if you jump to chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of them killing Stephen. This is the first time that we see this young man, this young Jew, And if we read the story, the first few verses of chapter 9 here, it'll tell us how Saul makes this radical change in his life. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which was just uh, the name of the church, it was called the way or the path or the, the journey, shall we say, in the midst of that, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? He asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And we know that he's blind for a, for a period of time, and he's not actually able to see, and then someone comes and talks to him, and he sort of realizes the error of his way. So we know that Paul is the author. Now his name goes through a change, and he, 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 he goes from being Saul, this Pharisee, this Jewish Pharisee, this murderer, effectively. Uh, one of the things that happens a lot of times, uh, if we read Scripture, is that when people come to Christ, a lot of times they get a new name, and that is true for him as well. But in Galatians 1, we're going to do the first nine verses today out of Galatians, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of, the, of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever.
forever and ever. Amen. Just a nice little intro. This is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. This is the way that we start letters, uh, even in our world today. But then in verse 6, he gets right to it, doesn't he? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I'll say it again in case you missed it. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's This is what we know a little bit about Paul. Paul is a Jew. He happens to be a perfect Jew. He has perfected his Judaism. He is an apostle. He identifies himself as an apostle. Now that sounds like a a, a big title. All that it means is somebody who is sent on a particular mission. And he says, listen, no person sent me on this mission. Not like when I was persecuting the church just two chapters ago. Jesus has sent me on mission. And ultimately, as the ministry of of Paul fleshes out, we will see that he ultimately becomes the one who is primarily sent to the Gentiles. Don't you think God has a wonderful sense of humor and a great sense of irony that here is the best Jew possible that is then sent to the Gentiles, sent to who would be his mortal enemies? Those are now the people that he is going to reach. It shows you how big and wonderful and powerful the kingdom of God is. Paul is the one that's going to do that. He also happens to be a church conflict manager because pretty much every letter that he writes says, okay, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is how you fix it. Uh, That's what he does all the time. The churches churches are places of conflict. Do you know why they're places of conflict? Because they're filled with right? People create conflict. We fight with each other. We, we have struggles with each other. It's human nature. It's part of the DNA that is in us. And Paul addresses a lot of that because it, it, it shows itself in the life of the church. Now, if we talk about the church of Galatia here for a minute, this is in, you know, Europe today. We, we don't exactly know where the church met or exactly where it was. But we know that it's one of the first churches. And the reason why we know that is because this is, the book of Galatians is one of the first books written in the New Testament. In fact, a lot of people argue that it is the first book that's written. Yes, it's, it's kind of got some, uh, you know, it's synonymous with some of the Gospels, like the Gospel of Mark, that's still telling the story of Jesus. But remember, in the early days, after the church has started, the first inkling is not to sit down and write about it. People would talk, people would share. It was an underground movement, an illegal movement as well. So it wasn't something you wanted a lot of literature on. But we know this is one of the first churches. This is probably 12 to 15 years after the the day of Pentecost. So there's still a relatively young church. I mean, Journey Church is about eight years old, so there are some similarities with that. I know that our history goes back a bit further, but what we've done here, it's kind of similar in its age. And Paul writes this as one of the first books. 
It's also a very diverse culture of Jews and Gentiles. It was ultimately a Jewish city, but it became occupied by the Romans because they took over the whole world. And so now you have these factions or these differences that take place. And I don't know if you know that, but a lot of, a lot of places that were heavily segregated in the world are now being integrated, and that causes some problems. And you've got these diverging cultures and these different ways of doing things and the different ways of believing or expressing or whatever it is, and those things tend to get people fussy at each other. And that's what happens in Galatia. That's what kind of plagued this region. But the theme of Galatians has everything to do with the gospel. The theme is the gospel. Now, maybe we have to flesh that out a little bit and define the terms. What is the gospel? Well, we all learned it in Sunday school, didn't we? The gospel is the good news. The good news about Jesus, about the story of of sacrifice, that he lived a perfect life and gave his life in our stead so that we could be uh, made right with God. It is an overwhelming story of grace and love. And that's what we learn. That's what we learn. The gospel is primarily and inherently tied to the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the one that loves us, gives us a way to be right with God. Now, something that's very interesting when you read the book of Galatians is this. The gospel is not just for the unbeliever. It is a way of life in the kingdom for the believer. I think sometimes we have made this mistake, right? You come to church, and then we, we ask questions, have you obeyed the gospel? In other words, have you allowed Jesus, have you accepted what he has done and accepted who you are and made that right? And we think, great, I have obeyed the gospel, and now I'm done with it. And Paul very quickly is going to say, that's not the only way that the gospel functions. In fact, the gospel is something that the believer needs to wrestle with for their entire life. Because the gospel is a way that we live into the kingdom. It's not just something that we did and now we're done with the gospel. It's something that we start and it's with us all the way to the end. The gospel is also not a new burden. It's not just the old law reinvented or reimagined or tied around people's necks and say, well, you used to do this under the Jewish system, so now we're just going to make up a bunch of new rules so that you can do it under a new system. And obviously, just by the first nine verses, or actually from verse 6 to verse 9, just those four verses, Paul is already saying that there is some perversion of the gospel. There's something that's happening there that is creating weight for people. Listen, every one of us in this room struggles with our faith, right? You struggle with your faith, I struggle with my faith. People often have very false perceptions about pastors, like that we just read our Bibles by candlelight every night, and we're just super holy. No, I'm watching Netflix, just like you, and I have problems. I, I do try to read my Bible sometimes. Um, but I struggle with my faith. Do you struggle with your faith? Some days you're like, man, I just, I really, it just didn't come right today. I really struggled today. We all struggle with our faith. But what's happening, the struggle that we don't want, the struggle that Paul is speaking against in this book is don't now create a bunch of rules to create more struggle in people's life of faith. It's hard enough as it is. You don't have to make up a bunch of new rules to tell people how bad they are. They already know. Just walk with them. Just, just help them. You know, something that I've realized, and, and I, think, I think we all know this, 
something that maybe has just become a little clearer to me in the, in the past couple of years. When any one of us faces difficulty, it's always easier to step back rather than to move forward. You understand what I'm saying? When, when we come up against something that maybe we've never experienced before or something that's very difficult, our natural instinct is to be defensive and to step back. That's what we, that's what we do. It's human nature to do that. If you walk around the corner and there is, you know, an animal out, our first instinct is not to run to them. Our first instinct is to back up and assess what's going on. The problem is, is that this can actually be a very dangerous practice. I'm not saying that we just need to run towards everything in our lives. But I think that our natural instinct is we often want to recreate something of the past rather than create something new in the future. Let me give you an example. I've seen this many, many times. A relationship ends. A marriage ends in divorce. It's very easy. I've seen people do it. They've been married for 20 years. Something goes wrong, the marriage ends. Suddenly, after a, you know, a period of time, this person is looking on Facebook and reconnecting with their high school flame. I'm not saying it's a great sin. I'm just saying there's something false about that. Well, I loved this person. I don't even remember why we broke up. We, we sort of romanticized the past. And what they think is, well, I'll tell you what, if I just go back and kind of start over, maybe it'll have a different outcome. The problem with that kind of thinking is simple. You are allowing a memory to dictate a false reality. Memories are static, are static things. Life moves. When, when I go back to South Africa, which, which, we, um, which we just got back from, on, on Thursday, and I'll, I'll share some memories and some pictures, and we'll, we'll have show and tell memories. Um, when I go back, I know that it's I know that it's where I grew up, and a lot of things look exactly the same, but they're not. I know in my mind. I know that when I walk down my driveway, that that's where I used to ride my bike. I, I cognitively know that. But it's not actually the same place anymore. And if I decided, hey, I think it'd be a good idea to just, you know, step back into the old life, I would imagine that there would be a lot of shocking things that happen because life has changed and moved. And I can see some of you nodding at this because you know exactly what that's like. And I think what happens is sometimes that is tied to a behavior of we don't actually want to step forward. We'd rather just step back or we'd rather just turn around. Memories, unfortunately, are static. When a memory ends, when you have a memory of something, it is locked in time. And when you come back, there has been time that has passed between those things. And some things in our lives, we need to just let be memories. The problem that we have in our world is when we try to recreate memories. And we think that if we just do the same things, we'll feel the same as we used to because usually there's something missing in our lives. I think this would have been easy for Paul. Paul was a great preacher. Now he's doing something completely different in this thing called the church. Do you think it would be easier for him to step back and go, well, I know this really well. I don't know this really well. That's what's happening at the church. They came from this. They like this. 
this is comfortable. They've had an experience with Jesus. Now their life is here. When difficult times happen in the church, which they do, their natural instinct is like all of ours. Maybe we should just go back to church. That's what Paul's saying, don't do that. Forward is the way that you grow. Forward is the way that you grow. You always know if you're moving backwards or forwards. You know how? Because every time you step backwards, it leads to bad behavior. B-A-D. I'm going to use that as an acronym. Okay? Bad behavior. When life doesn't work out, it's amazing. Or when we feel when we feel like we're under attack, it usually leads to three different things that happens in our lives. We start blaming things, we have some aggression towards things, and we start being really defensive about our lives. We start making a lot of excuses. We have a lot of reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And those are telltale signs that we are actually stepping back when we should step forward. But stepping forward is dangerous because stepping forward is accepting the chaos that is there, the uncertainty. It's being accountable for saying, yeah, this is where I'm at. I don't quite know what's going on. I'm struggling. I'm having a, diff- I'm having a difficult time. And, and Paul is recognizing these behaviors in this church, and I think in the church of Galatia, and I think we're the same in that way, aren't we? We've gone through a lot. We're trying to rediscover who we are and what we're supposed to do. Sometimes stepping forward is dangerous. You drive up to the church, and there's this huge green thing in the front of the church. What is going on here? What are we doing? This doesn't look like what I remember, right? But we're moving forward, and things are going to change. It's going to be okay. Let's not, let's, not, let's not lose sight of where God is calling us to. I love the line that Paul said uh, here early, early on in Galatians chapter 1. I think I can find it with the message. He uses the word rescue. And he says the gospel is rescue. The gospel rescues us because Jesus submitted his life and gave himself as a substitute for us. I don't like the word substitute because I think it's been overused and used badly in a lot of contexts, but it's maybe the best word we have. It's saying the gospel leads us forward because Jesus was willing to step into uncertainty to lay himself down for the sake of of those coming next. That's us. That's them. That's Paul. He says, Jesus did what he did so that I could be rescued because I didn't even know that I needed to be rescued. And it's all because of Jesus. And that's the gospel that matters. In the first nine verses, Paul very simply says, revising the gospel is reversing the gospel. Jesus has done so much. Don't go backwards. I know that's safer. I know you know what's back there. But Jesus has rescued us so that we can move forward. Paul's going to talk about what it means to live life with the Spirit of God. 
And he says, life in the Spirit begins with us accepting and reflecting on the gospel, knowing what God has done for us, each one of us. What Brad eloquently said, Jesus stood in the gap. He filled in the void so that we could be one with God. And we didn't have that before. So don't go back to disconnect. Stay with it. Stay on it. Be grateful for what God has done. And allow him to move in powerful ways in your life. As we open this book up, I hope that, that, I hope that this inspires you. Go and read the book. Go and, go and share. Maybe read it as a family. It's, it's, it's not that long. Maybe highlight it and, and then you can critique my sermons on Sunday. Oh, he didn't talk about that. I read this. Let's have a conversation about what God is doing, how God is moving, and what it means for us to take hold of the uncertainty and be rescued by him. I thank you guys for just being here today and just listening and just sharing, opening your lives up. That's all that God ultimately wants us to do. And so hopefully we we'll be able to explore that together as we go forward. Our Father, we thank you so much for today, just for this opportunity we have to open your word. Thank you that we have access to it. Thank you that we can that we can read it, that we can see it, that it can speak to us. And Father, even though there's 2,000 years <laughs> between us and this church, God, we, we feel some camaraderie with them. We feel some connection with them. We, we recognize that they are struggling to live in the spirit just like we are, that they're struggling with their faith just like we are. But God, maybe today, may we just feel the sense of rescue. May we know that above all, the gospel is not just a set of rules that we need to adhere to, but it is a relationship that saves our soul. And may we be willing to step out in faith towards that. We thank you for times of uncertainty. We thank you for wonderful memories. God, we just pray that you would empower us to step forward with you. We pray this all through Jesus, the church together.